again, David. Uh, today we are going to talk a lot about legacy app modernization, which is quite a broad topic, actually. And you have lots of experience. I guess uh, you have lots of experience in legacy as well. And my very first question to you is the very simple one, uh, but uh, it's not the obvious one. Uh, so what do you consider uh, as a legacy and when uh, does it become a problem in your, in your opinion? Yeah, uh, first of all, uh, thanks for having me. Um, <clears throat> so legacy uh, and also in uh, contrast to uh, what we then call technical debt, um, we consider legacy nothing really bad. Uh, we say, okay, um, there's parts of the platform uh, once in a lifetime they become legacy uh, for us, basically meaning just older, maybe not uh, touched upon too often. Um, and that in itself doesn't have to be bad, uh, because legacy can also mean it's something that is running quite smoothly, still creating user value. So that's fine. Um, but then there's a subset of legacy that, uh, we consider then technical debt. Um, and the, the definition basically, and this is still pretty generic is, uh, a part of legacy that actually creates problems. Um, and this can have different categories. Um, basically, um, it's uh, when you see uh, bug rates going up, security issues arising, uh, user feedback um, on these services and so on uh, being bad, um, or basically that uh, the, the effort you need to put in for maintenance uh, is increasing. This is technical debt done for us. Yeah, that's very true, as uh, sometimes uh, many people consider it as uh, an older code uh, and that's legacy, but it's not that true. It's like uh, legacy code is rather something that we are struggling to change because we need to put the new functionalities and we need to change the older code. Uh, but what do you see as a main source of legacy code in your opinion? Um, I mean, one aspect, um, or there's several aspects um, to that. Um, as time goes by, I think something that was considered best practice uh, five years ago is potentially not considered best practice today. Um, so it's um, software engineering patterns uh, that change, but also um, usually UF dependencies to frameworks you use, uh, libraries you use, and so on. These also evolve over time so um, if you then uh, basically miss out on keeping up with that, um, this, uh, this again is a source of uh, when legacy becomes <coughs> technical debt. And then um, I think um, also looking uh, from a more product and user perspective on things, um, basically what is being considered useful and uh, valuable for users and is actually solving problems uh, is also evolving. Uh, basically, every day out there, user user uh, expectations change. Um, so if if I uh, if I say legacy is becoming is is something that um, is maybe older or a little bit outdated, but still solving user problems, this still solving user problems can change over time. Um, so this is also then uh, defining what technical debt in the end is. 
you started with the technical side, but I see that you also mentioned, uh, let's name it, business side. And uh, many people often uh, consider a legacy, source of legacy as it's just a technical issue. It's like developers doing code bad. Uh, but in fact, uh, what you mentioned is actually a change. And a change may appear in many places. And uh, as you mentioned, stakeholders may change some uh, ideas, uh, needs, uh, some uh, ending uh, users uh, may want to use this application in a diff different way. Uh, so um, as there are those two sides, uh, business and technical side, uh, how do you convince uh, this business side that some changes on the technical side are needed, are required to uh, bring business value in the future? Not right now, but in the future. How do you do it? Yep. Um... Usually, um, there are a couple of concepts uh, you can entertain um, to actually um, get the point across. Uh, because if you go ahead and just describe the technical problem why something is <laughs> deemed a uh, legacy or, or uh, part of that, um, um, that won't cut it. Um, so I think it's more um, showing a bigger story of what the consequence of that is. Um, so what I usually use is um, the concept um, of cost of change, um, basically uh, drawing a small diagram that is, uh, that is saying the more you build, the higher your cost of change will go. The only thing you can put against that is basically an investment in functional excellence. That's at least the term I use for that. Um, that is entertaining the idea of um, basically modernizing um, and getting rid of technical debt um, as a countermeasure of cost of change. The moment you only do one of the two things, um, your business will, will basically uh, get hit by a bad effect. If you only do functional excellence, then value creation uh, is basically not happening for the user. Um, if you only build new features, um, your cost of change will uh, will go up, but also meaning you will get slower and slower and slower, um, or it will get more complicated to actually uh, deliver that. This kind of concept is um, fairly easy um, to understand, um, and in combination with the uh, with the term of I mean, technical debt is actually entertaining a business term debt. Um, and to really explain why do we actually call it like that and what kind of debt is that um, and that you need to repay that debt to actually um, uh, run the business smoothly also in the, in the future um, is something that really helps to, to build that bridge. And then I, I think it's, it's about these two concepts that I usually explain and then going into the more details of why we do we basically need to rebuild, refactor parts of the platform, um, but also always referring back to these kind of models to explain why is it considered debt? What does it do to, for example, new initiatives? If we think about redoing the search, um, experience in something like mobile.de, which is kind of a core of what we do. Um, then the question becomes like, if we do, I don't know, 16 new products and initiatives within search, 
um, before we refactor. Um, and then you can basically detail out like what would that mean and what where would it bring us um, um, so you can make it pretty transparent on uh, on why this tech investment now makes sense. Oh, I see. But basically uh, speaking, you are just let's say estimating how much uh, this refactorization will uh, take and they can just evaluate the impact whether it's worth it. Uh, I guess it's like some kind it's like just balancing uh, the immediate cost of uh, modernization and long-term uh, benefits uh, and uh, do you do you consider that business uh, feels like this need of uh, modernization uh, or in applications it's like sometimes uh, you may uh, face a problem that uh, you just see it you just see that this uh, change is required uh, from the development side it's like it's obvious uh, but uh, business sometimes just need have other purposes and they are like oh no it's not gonna happen in this uh, in that very moment and maybe we'll think about it later but you know that it's very important how do you convince that uh, especially in terms of the impact uh, just uh, changes we make yeah that's uh, definitely uh uh, a hard one um what we established over the time using the uh, basically concept i explained earlier is uh, a reserved amount of time um we have in tech um to actually deal with those things because some of the things uh it it's not that obvious to explain um to other functions um and we usually reserve 20 to 30% of the time to actually deal with functional excellence where we prioritize um, basically um, what things we need to take care of also from a technical side um, and that serves us quite well. Um, so I think reserving and also protecting room for that uh, makes a lot of sense uh, to do that um, especially as it's not so straightforward um, because you can't uh, really easily put uh, a dollar or a euro sign uh, at the back of uh, a modernization exercise uh, maybe on the effort that needs to go in that you can do um, but um, on the on the other side in terms of what are the opportunity costs if you not do it uh if you just keep it like that and then build on top of that and build on top of that that's pretty hard to do um and uh and what we usually do in the 30 percent uh, we have kind of a repository of all the things that are considered in our definition technical depth and then we prioritize what we do and basically plan in our OKRs um, uh, what we actually uh, want to address in a quarter. Um, and then we have um, with the uh, tech leads of each team uh, a che check in twice a quarter to see what's the progress, where blockers, where we can help as a leadership, um, uh, as a leadership team to remove them. Um, and um, as a second part, um, and I think this also helps um, to have this discussion um, with business and also other functions um, and also investors, by the way, 
um, is having clear metrics. Um, like we have a kind of set of metrics that we then aggregate as this means platform health for us. Um, and we monitor that and also can show what investments do things to these kind of metrics. And uh, obviously it's it's also along the lines of uh, cost of change and these kind of things. Um, so it's again, creating measurability and also transparency in a way. Yeah, I see. And what metrics, do, what kind of metrics uh, do you use? Um, it's quite a number of metrics, to be honest. It's, uh, it starts with uh, basically the lighthouse metrics. Um, like uh, when site speed and so on, it's uptime and availability of services. Uh, we, um, as it's a product and tech set of metrics, uh, there are also a lot of uh, user metrics in there, um, but um, it's also user feedback. Um, so app store ratings, um, then it's, um, I would say engineering quality metrics, like how many P1, P2, P3 bugs do you have? Uh, do you handle them within SLAs? These kind of things. And then leading into things like SEO metrics, like visibility index metrics and SEO and stuff like that. Um, uh, plus default metrics like uh, lead time to change, uh, time to restore and these kind of things. So. Um, um, I think it's it's a pretty broad set of uh, things, uh, which gives a good overview. Um, and uh, we monitor them um, on a monthly basis because a lot of them are not moving like really fast, um, but still you see trends. And what I find also interesting um, is we're doing team health checks with all our teams on a monthly basis. Um, which is then um, basically adding a more qualitative view out of the teams like health of code base. It's basically a subjective rating um, of all team members, but it gives you an overview and also a landscape of all your teams you have. Um, and then you see where it's good or bad and not to basically do performance assessment of the teams, um, but also to uh, more to understand where do you need more or less investment in these areas. Um, so I think it's a pretty broad set uh, we look at, but uh, it gives you a holistic overview of where you stand as an organization. Yeah, I really like the, I really like the last one as uh, usually nobody thinks about subjective uh, metrics uh, uh, measured in a team, and those are probably the most important ones, uh, actually. Uh, do you have any examples of situations where just those metrics helped you a lot uh, in, for example, in legacy authorization, but maybe in other cases as well? Um, yes. Um, so we uh, just recently did a bigger organizational change in Mobile, um, basically pivoting the whole organization to a, a customer journey centric um, point of view. Um, and um, one thing we uh, we saw in the past was that um, basically if you looked at ownership, meaning services per person 
um, and looked at where is a lot of ownership for less people and, and uh, the opposite side of that. You had um, areas within Mobile where a lot of value is created, also business value is created, where ownership per person was sky high. Um, so you had a lot of services per person, basically. Um, and this was also due to the organization we had, due to how we did investments in the past. Um, and basically then seeing the extent of what that do does to, for example, health of code base rating in a team, um, you could actually connect the dots. Um, so it was a hundred percent correlation between these things. And when we discussed how do we want to organize um, in a new way, how do we want to um, basically assign ownership to the new organizational units, um, this was one of the key insights we had, like feedback from the teams out of the health checks, out of uh, these kind of metrics. Um, so again, um, metrics, there are months where you just uh, basically collect them and look at them and maybe there's no immediate action. But there are these moments where it comes in so helpful to have this transparency to drive discussion. And this was one of them. Yeah, I see. It's like uh, metrics usually doesn't uh, not show uh, some answers. It's like you need to interpret them and sometimes uh, they don't give you an, any answers, but after some time, something becomes become uh, an obvious and it's like very helpful. And what you also mentioned, it's like um, many people consider uh, legacy modernization as a code change. Um, but you also mentioned an organizational change. And uh, it's uh, quite a, it's like it's completely different topic basically, but uh, how do you see a legacy in, our, uh, in organizations? Do you see it a lot? Do you see some kind of uh, exceptional cases, situations, or is it like, it's basically the same as in code, but let's say it's just related to people, organization, and some solutions, some uh, patterns, uh, paradigms just work in the same manner. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think we are all familiar with Conway's law. Um, so no matter what you do, uh, 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 you will see your software reflected in the organization, but most likely you will see your organization reflected in how you build software and how communication dependencies also between services and, and artifacts you have uh, basically reflect your organization. Um, that's also one of the aspects why we, we did reorganize. Um, and this is definitely um, something that is, that is interlinked. And um, also when it comes to organization, um, me and my leadership team, like product and tech, at all, uh, we have this um, basically ongoing list of what we call organizational depth, um, where you say, hey, this this is something uh, we observed, this is something, and then we have a list of things we need to address. Um, actually, same as with software. Um, uh, it was wide at a certain point in time when you took the decision to do that, but basically circumstances change. 
Um, and there's this moment in time where you then look at it and say like, oh, okay, um, for the purpose um, and for the direction we're now heading to, this is not ideal. And then uh, we, we basically tackle that as we would tackle a, a software depth in a way. Um, and I think basically also having technical depth as well as organizational depth like um this this that it's actually evolving and being created basically um or it's more passive than being created i mean you don't go and create it but um it's for me also sign of a healthy and living organization because this means your organization is adapting uh your organization is growing because this these are usually the two things that that require you to uh, rethink stuff, pivot on on things you you de decided uh, in the past. Yeah, and uh, organizations change a lot during the time. Uh, and you mentioned the economist law; it's one of my favorite ones <laughs> because it's like you you can actually see it in organizations. It's like uh, there are many organizations that are structured in different way, hierarchical, flat structures, and so on. And the same happens in a, in a code base. Uh, and what law uh, measures about is the communication. So uh, code base actually reflects communication in our organization. So uh, every technical depth or organizational depth, we can somehow rearrange to some kind of communication depth. And is it somehow you see a legacy as well? It's like it may be correlated to how people communicate. And sometimes organizations need to, need to provide some changes in communication uh, just to make something work better in organizations. Do you see it as well in the same manner? And have you ever faced uh, seeing legacy as a communication problem? Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Um, I mean... Uh... One example, maybe um, from from our organization, we uh, used to organize ourselves um, in you could call it business unit or product lines, basically where um, uh, next to our core classified model you had one unit for financing, one unit for leasing, one unit for I don't know online buying, mm -hmm. and so on, and. Um, what is true for every of those units is that because we are a marketplace, you had a dealer side and you had the consumer side. So what you then did uh, when, you, when you set up the organization is in all of those units, you had people taking care of dealer and consumer. So the dealer parts of every of those units basically uh, started building tools for dealers, right? tools for dealers to manage financing leads, tools for dealers trade-in leads, tools for dealers for leasing, tools for dealers, and so on. <clears throat> and then obviously um, you can, uh, this also basically um, then uh, shows how communication flows. And then you can heal that in an organizational way. For example, you you basically create a guild or a unit that is taking care of dealers holistically and consumers holistically. But it's not the most natural thing to do if you want to have a holistic, seamless dealer product, for example. 
because in in the worst case you end up building five lead management systems um sending five different invoices to dealers for several services they're completely confused and just wondering what you do um and um with what we did now uh, and using the customer journey as the basis for our organization, um, it's much more natural to think dealer holistically uh, and you would never end up building five different lead management tools, for example. I know it's a little bit artificial as an example, but what, what I want to say is organization basically defines how you communicate and also defines how you structure and build products um, and the technology behind that. Um, so I think it's all really closely connected. Um, that's why I also love Conway's Law. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned about uh, customer journey. Uh, let's let's consider this uh, just a tool that helps to deal with uh, legacy. Uh, what tools or methodologies do you see helping a lot with legacy? To Basically, concepts I explained uh, help a lot. Um, um, apart from that, I think it's it's really dependent on the use case in the end. Um, there, um, I mean, we now look a lot at um, uh, I would say uh, things that became technical depth um, over time um, and without intention. Um, that basically is one thing where these concepts help, where technical excellence time helps, where prioritization matters and, and having a good process of resolving them helps. Um, and then there's, um, a second category, uh, I'd like to call incubation depth, um, uh, which is when you basically build new businesses um, with a high probability of uh, failing in doing that. Um, then you always think about, at least if you're already an established business, um, like for Mobile, we're market leader, we're quite big. Um, uh, and then you decide something like, um, do we want to build a trade-in solution? Um, then you wonder, do I do that in my, in my already established products, technology, um, and user experience, or do I do it on the side, test my way through that. Um, and if it's successful, then I reintegrate and this whole process of, um, so the deliberate decision, I do it on the side. I know from minute one. I create technical debt because it won't live like that if it's successful. Um, so this is what I call incubation debt. You build uh, maybe a separate domain, don't really hit all the check marks on this is our standard in terms of software engineering, just to get it out of the door, to test it with real users. But you actually know there's this point in time in the future where you need to reintegrate all of that. Um, so this is incubation depth, and I think, um, there's only one key method, uh, I want to emphasize on 
get the commitment that this is understood by everyone before you start with minute one of 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 coding it um because in some of the cases if you if you like go all in until you have a uh, product market fit um and then have this okay and now we actually need to reintegrate this can take months to do that and a lot of effort and uh you don't want to be in a situation where you are at this point in time and then start to argue the, your point that it takes six months with two teams to actually get that back uh, into your standard tech stack and 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 uh, basically um, environment. Yes, and you are turning to communication as well. As, uh, it's very important uh, that everyone uh, is uh, on the same page and uh, that's actually like it's still it's all about communication and everybody and what everyone agrees on uh, some kind of approach or solution uh, that's very important thing to to reach and uh, i will jump a little bit to tech site uh, because we talked a lot of about people uh, communication organization um uh, do you use any criterias uh, in uh, technology or uh, or some tools, uh, technical tools, uh, evaluation, uh, whether they are suitable in terms of legacy modernization. Uh, simply speaking, uh, what criteria do you use when you are choosing uh, uh, some tool set uh, uh, in terms of future legacy as well? So it's like maintenance, basically speaking. Yeah, I think uh, what's help, uh, what helps is uh, having an up-to-date and maintain tech radar um, to be pretty clear on uh, what is it um, you actually intend to use as technologies, what is uh, um, basically a subset of things uh, you want to adapt in the future and what is it you actually want to get rid of. Um, so that uh, obviously um, <clears throat> gives direction um, also to the teams. Um, and we have some um tools um we kind of build our own um that show uh, a number of things we we care about um so the tool is called application inventory uh i know uh, uh it's a really fancy name um basically it shows you a list of uh, all your services um and then uh, it outlines uh, several criteria, um, um, basically uh, all the dependencies you have between the services and to, to, to other things. It shows you where you have uh, used outdated versions of something. Um, so basically it gives you a list of opportunities per service and you can also have it per team. Um, and what we do uh, do on a monthly basis is actually look at those opportunities and kind of uh, also challenge our teams to, hey, what is the team that actually ticked most of the opportunities where uh, what is basically in the worst state of, uh, of, of what we look at? And then um, you have also the other dimensions and criteria. Um, when it comes to um, uh, security and bug rates, um, we have tools for that, um, obviously. And then um, also a, a GDPR checker tool um, because we build a GDPR middleware uh, where 
every service is connected to um, and basically um, says uh, this is the kind of data I'm using, um, these are the rules um, and if we get kind of a GDPR request to um, to um, get the information for a user or delete the information to a user, this is all then populated to all the services and they can respond. Um, and, uh, and what is bad is, for example, if a service is not connected or wrongly connected or and not showing all the data and, and stuff like that, um, maybe not technical tip per se, uh, but still pretty vital uh, for us as a business. I see. <laughs> so you have quite uh, observability, actually. So we can just make decisions, uh, I guess, very fast and very, very efficient in an efficient way. So it looks like it's one of the best, the most important things just to make the proper metrics, proper interpretation and then decision, uh, decision making. Uh, do you consider um, that uh, People uh, in teams, in development teams, uh, need uh, some kind of special skills to deal with legacy better in a better way. Or do you consider that there are required uh, skills, uh, maybe not technical skills, but actually maybe communicationized skills that helps a lot with uh, dealing with legacy? How do you see it? I think we created a setup where this is kind of ingrained um, in. Yes, it is needed. Um, so um, we have a platform team, um, which is basically kind of um, setting the guiding principles uh, and is also um, responsible for running this functional OKR process and, 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 and setting up the check-ins. And in every tech team, we have one person we call tech lead, um, who is someone with um, uh, years of experience. Uh, and also someone who's uh, good at communication. And they then work together with the platform team to actually um, coordinate that kind of work. Um, and I think, yes, that's essential to actually get this right. Okay, I see. And if I ask you to give the uh, best, let's name it, rule or principle uh, to people that can use against legacy, what would be it? What do you consider the most, the best, uh, <laughs> the best uh, uh, law or principle? How does it? Yeah, I think the the easiest one and uh, maybe also a classic one is the Boy Scout rule. Uh, so um, I think every time you touch something, um, make it a little bit better. Uh, like in the Boy Scout days, if you pitch your tent somewhere, make sure you leave the place not only as it was before, but maybe a little bit cleaner. Uh, so pick up a little bit of dirty in there. The same applies for software engineering. Um, and what what actually helpful to do that in, in reality um, is having a kind of checklist um, on hey, if you're touching a service uh, and want to apply the Boy Scout rule, these are the five things you, sh you should check because this is kind of a pattern we see somewhere or this is uh, suitable for the direction we're going to. Um, and and uh, I think that's helpful. Um, it's basically the same before you uh, deploy something. 
uh, we have security checklist and these kind of things. Uh, so again, you can you can have these kind of things um, to direct a little bit uh, how how to apply the Boy Scout rule. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> Actually, that's the best principle uh, in any uh, technology in any organization uh, in dealing with uh, legacy as well. Thank you very much, David. I really enjoyed uh, today our conversation. Thank you. It was a pleasure.